Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. This is the host, Alex Bond. Um, We've got an exciting announcement to make. Um, Off the back of the podcast, we're exposed to many issues that are kind of topical or current, um, and some become really pervasive. And sometimes we are in the position to do something about it in our role as a recruitment business that specializes in insure tech. And one of those issues has been the lack of female leadership in insurance technology businesses. It's nothing new. It's nothing surprising. Um, we can see that the numbers are just simply not representative in the traditional insurance industry. But in a nascent industry, in in a burgeoning and growing industry, in an industry that's so exciting, it's a little bit disappointing to see that the numbers continue to not stack up. There are simply not enough female leaders in the insurance technology business. So what can we do about that? Well, look, there's no time for me to have a savior complex, but what I can do is build networks and what I can do is build platforms. And so one of those platforms we've decided to kind of launch is the flight series, the female leaders in insurance technology event series. This will be a series of events that will start in 2022. They will involve in-person events, they involve online events to encapsulate the global audience, and they are going to include some specific mentoring opportunities. So I'm excited to announce that the first of those is happening on 13th of January. That will be a London in-person event, a ticketed event, um, and we get a fantastic panel of female speakers to talk about attracting talent to InsureTech. So if you're interested in InsureTech, if you're interested in discussing opportunities in InsureTech, We'd love to see you there. Please check out the FinPro website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by David, who is CEO and founder of uh, Monarch HQ. Um, David, good morning. Well, it, it, it's not morning. my morning. Is it your morning? or is, uh, it, you... 
Uh, yeah, for, for, for another 45 minutes here, it's still my morning as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we uh, we have to say morning because we're always releasing on the morning uh, when we put the podcast out. So uh, we're morning in everyone's ears. So um, look, thank you very much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, we, we had a really good conversation when we first spoke. And um, yeah, I think we share a lot of the same uh, stories in different parallel industries as we were just gassing away there before we pressed a record. So, um, but just so everyone at home can get to know you a little bit better, um, would you mind introducing yourself and, and obviously the, the, the Monarch business as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Dave Bryant. I've uh, been uh, primarily in the insurance and tech sales uh, side of things for the last 15 years. And uh, in a bunch of those different roles, kind of realized a lot of the inefficiencies that weren't being solved by new tech startups. Um, you know, there's a lot of great new insure tech platforms out there. And they're really, they, they helped me move a lot of the business and sales operations forward dramatically. And, uh, but there were still a couple areas on the front end of the sales process that I noticed were, were still just not catching up to other industries and uh, were just painfully slow. And eventually you kind of get to a point in time where, you know, if, if you're of a founder mindset and you have a problem and you realize you might not be the only one with the problem, you can either mm -hmm. keep complaining about it or you can, uh, grab a buddy and uh, pull them into uh, a multi-year venture to uh, try to solve it. And uh, mm -hmm. that's basically how we started with Monarch HQ is we wanted to um, really streamline a lot of the legacy quoting systems that have been involved in the employee benefits insurance space that were created 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you know, to put it politely, they, they, they show their age. Um, and they, every couple of years, they put a new, uh, you know, UI on top of the ex old existing UX experience on everything. And, um, yeah, we just thought that was time to time to change the way that that was being handled. So, uh, the first phase of our product we've launched in California, um, which is a small group under 100 employee um, live quoting for medical plans. Uh, fairly straightforward product on that side, but it was really a proof of concept to show that we that we could build a quoting engine and that we could start tracking some of the data analytics that we think are going to be really really valuable for brokers, employers, and insurance carriers for benchmarking tools down the road. And um, and then now we're currently in development um, on the second phase of the product, which we are building out the first ever live auction reverse bidding platform for insurance wow. uh, with live benchmarking and analytics tools for all three sides of that marketplace. So rather than just being a, uh, a, a one size like uh, shelf rated product and quoting engine for brokers, we actually want to create that dynamic experience. Um, so we've seen that happen in, on the finance side of the, in the industry, you know, 20 years ago. And there was really nothing there on the insurance side that provided that same kind of experience. And uh, we just thought that was long overdue. So we want to shrink that uh, quoting, you know, that, that proposal quoting um, analysis and implementation phase. Right now, you could argue that takes about 120 days in a cycle. Uh, we believe we, we can get that down to under an hour. Um, so we, wow. we beta test. Uh, I also own a, a employee benefits brokerage. We beta tested a bunch of this stuff on our own staff, and uh, you know we, we cut eight hours of spreadsheeting down to 20 minutes. Um, so it's already showing great returns on investment, even just for my own brokerage team. So we're having those conversations now with external brokerages to introduce them to the Monarch platform and show them, you know, how we can improve their workflows and operational efficiency there on the front end of the sales process. Awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always a great thing when it's kind of a real world problem that you stumble across and and then set out to solve it. And I think that what's interesting about the insure tech space is um, now we're seeing a lot of founders from the industry that have experienced the industry and they're, and they're solving those kind of real world problems. Because um, I think that's, yeah, I don't know what phase we're in of the insure tech revolution, as it were, but you know, someone said we're in kind of 3.0 version. And I think a lot of those early entrants were, yeah, external people coming into the industry and, and saying, oh, it's all broken. And, and that they were just essentially all they wanted was, you know, funky looking websites and, and different. It, it was all it was alternative distribution, right? It was it was looking at different distribution models. Um, uh, now we're kind of I, I think we're just reaching that level of maturity where we've, we've, we've got kind of people saying, look, this is a real problem. I'm from the industry. This needs updating. And, and, and those are where some of the really exciting businesses for me uh, are, are happening at the moment. Um, and talking of other uh, insurtech businesses, you, you were that's how we connected. You were you were nominating the back of the, the insurtech 100. Um, I, I want to ask you, you know, at this kind of stage um, of the kind of the evolution of the business, the start of the business, you know, how impactful are those kind of nominations or awards? Uh, you know, do, do you see anything tangible from those things? I, I, you know, I, I never think to ask, but yeah, I, I think they add a certain level of uh, credibility. So anytime there's an outside party that's like, hey, we think this is, you know, at the very basic level, they could just simply say, we think this is cool, right? Yeah. You get named yeah. to one of those like, you know, top 10 best products from working from home and it goes, you know, up on BuzzFeed or something like that and people start paying attention. Um, yeah, anytime you can leverage anything where it's outside validation for your product and service, it, it just gets you one step closer to that next conversation of additional validation and experience. And the more and more of that you stack up, the easier it is to provide that credibility to potential, um, you know, clients and vendors that could be coming onto your system. So um, we've been leveraging that even with conversations with, uh, we're, we're starting to engage with a bunch of venture capitalists. And, and I, I think that accolade saying like, hey, you know, someone else, we know you've only got 30 seconds to make a decision as to whether or not you want to have a conversation with us. But here's a couple bullet points as to why we think you should jump on the phone with us for 15 minutes and get to know us a little bit better and yeah. having even something that says someone else has done this with us before and they think we're cool means that we're just that much closer to that better conversation with the next person down the line who maybe hadn't heard of us previously so mm. that, that's kind of the way that i look at these is that each one of these accolades is, is really a stepping stone to the next bigger uh next piece of the business down the road. Um, so it all just adds up and creates a compounding effect around the business. You know, for example, like having that and then now having this conversation with you, again, it, it continues to expand the network and the audience we're able to reach and uh, and share what we're working on. Yeah, well, well, I hope it is because we had we had a bit of a nice win. You know, look, of course, we do. We do the podcast because, um, you know, it's it's a really good way for us to keep in as a business for finpro you know a recruitment business how do we have good quality conversations with people without them thinking we're trying to constantly just sell them and pitch them business sure. um you know this is a really good way to do that and that's why we do it and that's why we enjoy doing it um but obviously the kind of network effect of it is interesting because we get to know lots of people and that that means actually we are more effective at our role um but we had a lovely we had a lovely win quite recently where we had a very early stage business that had come on and they, and they were on and we just got a lovely email from the other days just saying that um 
you know off the back of that they've had loads of interest from incubation labs and investors and and um you know so um uh, i wouldn't say it's kind of it's by design but we'd, we'd love we'd love that to be part of it and, but but i think all of these things what what i like about insurance and you know i wanted to talk about your journey into insurance in a bit more detail later on was that you know it is a very I think it's a very supportive industry. I think it's a very well networked industry. Um, you know, if you speak to someone who works in the insurance uh, sector in LA, you can bet your bottom dollar they know a hell of a lot of people in LA that work in the insurance industry. And then Absolutely. by proxy, lots of people across the, the, the sort of business. And I, I do think that's quite unique. I think, yeah, there are lots of businesses where you get that. Um, in recruitment, I, I'm quite friendly with a lot of my like, closest competitors because I think it's healthy. But I do think insurance is f- fairly unique in that instance. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was something I tried to fight for years. I uh, <laughs> I, I, I was always uh, you know uh, minorly annoyed that ninety eight percent of my LinkedIn contacts were all insurance people, and I was like, I, I want some outside like yeah. you know influences. I want some marketing people, some like you know true tech product and you know uh just to expand the horizons and and get additional you know thoughts on different things that you might not be looking at on a daily basis and uh no matter how hard i tried i just you know for every one person i would add in a different industry i would add five more in insurance and it was just (laughs) like you know so at a certain point it's like you get a request from an insurance individual and you find out you've got like 400 common connections and you're like okay like yep this is what it is you know everyone Mm -hmm. here knows each other so Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah, it, sure. it's it's nice. It's rewarding. Well, I wanted to talk about that. So, look, you had a very six. I mean, you have a very successful benefits brokerage business. Um, you're running that. We were talking about how hard that was to get. We were talking about the 24-hour working days at the start of it. We were hearing some of those nightmares, and we were swapping war stories before this. But in the midst of all that, why was the right time for you to kind of start Monarch? Yeah, so, so I I think there's there's a couple of things. You, you look at any great company, and you can say, oh, the, the founder was a visionary or whatever. And you you look at Apple or you know Amazon, whatever the case is. But a lot of, there's a lot of study that goes into those businesses to say also that founder had the right amount of experience. They were at the right point in their career. They were in the right market. The timing in the you know macro ecosystem was the right moment in time. You know, a lot of times there was a similar business that tried to do what they were doing ten years earlier and failed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I looked at with Monarch is, is a lot of this idea has always been there, but there wasn't the connectivity. There, there, there wasn't a um, a willingness or an ability for what we wanted to do to connect to the carriers data systems, mm-hmm. um, especially down market in, in the under 100 employee space, like just forget it, those conversations just went dead, you know, um, every time we tried to bring them up. So a little bit of it was kind of just waiting, right? Uh, you know, a, a great, you know, uh, comment I once heard on uh, Netflix was, you know, if you remember, they started out as a DVD mail order service. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they, they, they always knew they wanted to do it online. But they, you know, the average household didn't have enough bandwidth to support streaming movies, right? And so th- mm. they basically created a different model first, and then basically had to wait for the market to catch up. And one of the things that we've looked at with Monarch is we feel the market is there. We- we've seen other insure tech platforms come in to solve benefits administration and employee enrollment and engagement. And you've got AI bots that help with decision-making processes of employees going through trying to figure out which medical plan to sign up for. And so there's been a lot of innovation there and the industry is really, really uh, robust on that experience side of things. Um, once 
plans have been chosen. And we just felt that while there were a couple really promising options on the front end, we thought we had a unique business model that could really kind of turn that front end of the, of the, the quoting and proposal and analytics side of it kind of on its head. And mm-hmm. we felt the rest of the industry was in a place to actually, you know, accept that. Uh, mm-hmm. The more conversations we had, the more they wanted that. I previously uh, ran a, um, an employee benefits division for ZipRecruiter that was fairly short-lived because they basically ran into these same problems. And they said, look, this is crazy. This this should not take 90 days to onboard a client, right? Because in software sales, someone says, yes, I want your your service. They put in their credit card and they hit go and their service is live and you have their payment, right? And in insurance, someone says, yes, let's do this. And you have to wait 90 to 120 days to get them (laughs) fully implemented. Like, it was just like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And then all the regulatory framework and everything else around it. So Mm -hmm. the the regulatory issues are what they are and they're there for protections and everything like that. So you just got to accept that. But what we really saw was an evolution of willingness to try to, um, inside the industry to be much more open to, hey, this sounds like a great idea. How can we support this? And so a lot of the conversations we were having with insurance carriers and other vendors said, we like it. What what do you need from us to help you? Right. And hearing that dynamic change said, okay, this is go time. We've recognized there's a need. We chat with a lot of brokers before, you know, sometimes I have a tendency to say, well, this would solve my problem. Let's just go and spend a lot of money and build it. (laughs) And and that's not a great business model when you have one customer and it's that customer is yourself. Uh, That's a good way to lose money very quickly. Um, Mm. So we wanted to make sure that there was outside uh, desire for it on the broker side. We wanted to make sure that there was a willingness with insurance carriers to, uh, to, to, on board with us as well and to help support that ecosystem. And, and that was kind of what we started seeing. And um, Larry was on a uh, four hour road trip with uh, my now co-founder uh, heading skiing. And uh, you know he heard me for about three hours uh, complaining and, and bitching about the problem. And uh, you know he's a fairly high level senior uh, director of engineering at a well-known company. And, uh, and he said, you know, we can solve that. Why don't we just get to work? And I'm like, yeah. Now's the time. Let's yeah, do it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, so we, we, we given we snowboard we, and uh, well, I snowboard, he skis. We, we called that our first official board meeting. So, uh, you know, getting out <laughs> on the boards to, uh, to to ride and uh, kind of we spent the whole weekend hashing out the business model. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. You have to find people that way. Client, it's funny. I was having a, I was having a conversation with a really senior product guy that I know, um, super smart guy, and I was basically moaning about. I was moaning about the functionality of LinkedIn from a back-end perspective because, you know, it's a fairly expensive SaaS product when you use it from a recruitment standpoint and the, and the functionality of it is not brilliant. And uh, and uh, I was kind of going over it and, it and and basically I had this sort of proposition and he was like, you know, we could build that and here's how. And he solved it in about 10 minutes. He went, yeah, uh, that's that's exactly how it should work. And, and you know, I... Uh, I, I'm going to skip forward. Actually, there was a, there was a question I was going to ask you um, uh, later, but you know, you are a non-technical founder running a tech-led business. Um, you know, what does that, what challenges has that kind of caused you, uh, and how do you kind of resolve those? Yeah, so I I think um, having a technical co-founder, um, Stephen's been fantastic on the on that side. So uh, to start with, his. Um, technical prowess is not in the insurance space at all. So coming in from an outside perspective and being able to see how world-class engineering problems are solved and then looking at the insurance problems and and he's just kind of, you know, half the time he's scratching his head and be like, why do they do it that way? Wouldn't it be better to do it this way? And I'm like, 
yeah, that does sound better. He's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to do it my way. I'm like, great. Right. So, so part of the advantage there is that I'm not necessarily dreaming up like, uh, you know, I, I have an idea of what the end goal should be and I know what the current situation is, but having someone who doesn't come from the industry to help roadmap out the stuff in between, it has mm -hmm. been hugely advantageous. So mm -hmm. what I'm really trying to bring here is, is a deep understanding of the, the problem of the way it currently works and of the partners we need to bring on board to make all these pieces work. And then working with someone extremely technical to help, you know, build the, the product and engineering team to solve for those pieces. And mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the stuff that he's pushing out, you know, uh, we're actually pushing a, a update uh, over the weekend here. And I, I got a sneak peek of, you know, kind of the, the newer version of it yesterday. And I was like, that was actually better than I envisioned in my head. Uh, so the, the, there's a lot of features where I was like, hey, it'd be cool if we could do this. And then he just took it to a whole nother level. And I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that, but that's that's amazing. So um, so I think that, that has really been helpful in this situation. Um, I do see a lot of non-technical co-founders often struggle, especially early on until you can bring in a, a, a true technical partner. It's one thing mm -hmm. to, to hire outside engineering and contract work and stuff like that. But if you don't have someone embedded and invested in the business journey with you on a technical side, I can see that being an extremely difficult path to go along your own. So, mm. um, so we, we basically have made a decision to, for the most part, we divide and conquer and we overlap about 15% in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm handling business operations, legal finance, uh, sales, marketing, uh, that side of the house, and then having him handle technical side, but having, you know, four times a week, you know, in-depth touch points there to kind of go over everything, you know, well, we've already been on this call. I've seen four JIRA tickets already being updated uh, on product roadmap pieces. I can see our, our engineer in the Ukraine is still uh, plugging away here and, uh, you know, yeah. Steven's going and updating notes on things. So, you know, definitely in the loop and, you know, having that regular touch point cadence to make sure that we're on the right track, we're prioritizing the right features. It gets really easy being non-technical to suddenly say, hey, we should do this. And you throw something out there and you don't realize, yeah, that would be cool, but that's a four month, you know, yeah. um, yeah. item, right. Yeah, yeah, Where, yeah. Whereas something else that would make a meaningful impact could take, you know, two or three hours to knock out. Right. So, so we, yeah. we constantly, almost on a weekly basis are going through a priority matrix of effort versus reward for every mm -hmm. single feature that we're building out. We're also trying not to get too distracted. You know, it, it's a combination of balancing, you know, long-term vision for where the product will end with also um, short term, what can we do now to, to get the early win? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so we, we try to kind of balance a little bit of both of those pieces there. We, we've got some things we're working on that no one has asked us for because it doesn't exist and no one knows it could exist, but we think it's going to be a game changer. And then yep. we've got a bunch of other things that everyone we demo to says, yeah, that's great, but it'd be really cool if it could do this. And we're trying to say like, okay, do they really need that? Or if they can just wait an extra six months, we'll have this like whole new crazy thing that they don't even know we could do. And that'll be 10 times better than what they asked for. Like how much time do we spend on what people are asking us for now versus what we think we should build for them later. And, and that's where it can get a little tricky, but, but having a technical co-founder has definitely helped um, kind of break down and it's helped me understand, hey, the stuff you're asking for, this is how long these pieces are going to take. Based on that information, what do you want to prioritize? And, uh, and I yeah. think that's really been, been key to uh, kind of managing the workflow there. So yeah, and it's uh, yeah to your point as well. It's um, <coughs> excuse me, it's a it seems to be the benefit as well of someone from not within the industry is that you know if you ask anyone within the insurance industry, oh, how would we make this process, you know, X Y Z process better? It's going to be 
a variation on a theme. It's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's not going to sort of take enough steps back to go, well, why do you do that in the first place? You could do this. And, and, and I think that's, I think one thing that we've been poor at generally and something that I see in my role as a, you know, as a senior recruitment professional is that we're not good at pulling people in from other industries when there are specifically within tech how much does someone need to know about insurance really you know if, if they're a sort of a, a tech leader um they can pull that talent within the business if you're an insurance company or insurance brokerage it's like there's enough technology there's enough insurance knowledge within the building um you just you know but you don't know that you don't know the limitations of tech so yeah it's really interesting to see you have that set up from the start just because that's your kind of um you know that's what your technical co-founder does with you um so you're running a marketplace solution. Um, one of the things that I, I'm, a, I'm not cynical about, I, I just a bit skeptical about, you know, they require transparency to work. And I really wanted to know, have you met any resistance with regards to that transparency? <laughs> the smile that some people yeah. who can't, they can't see. That, uh, if you're listening to this yeah. podcast, there's been a very big smile on David's face. Uh, so I yeah. presume you have met some resistance for that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, to start with, like, um, so the, the first uh, one of the first hurdles we were jumping through was I, I reached out to every single medical carrier in the state of California and said, I'd like copies of all of your filed plans um, and your rate tables. And to start with, just the hoops I had to jump through just to get my hands on that mm. was pretty unbelievable. I thought, mm. you know, they would just say, sure, here, right? Because it's all been filed with the Department of Insurance. It, it, there's nothing that should necessarily be secretive about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had to get involved with their compliance officers and, you know, all these kinds of things. And I was like, this is just a rate table. Like, why is there all of this, like, secrecy around it? Yeah. And, um you know, and there's one carrier in particular that we've worked with on my brokerage side for years, and they are just freakishly good at physician disability products. If you bring them a law firm and you say, hey, we want to quote them disability, they say, yeah, we're probably not the right fit, and they walk away, right? You bring them a medical group, and they blow everyone else out of the water nine times out of 10, right? And they, they know what they're good at. They don't deviate from that. And they say, look, here here's where we're at, right? And, and that was kind of a... a something that's always stuck in the back of my head is to say carriers should want to focus on where they are good at and not focus on where they aren't good at. We, we had a really great conversation with uh, someone from the actuarial team on a, from a, a fortune 100 insurance company mm -hmm. uh, a couple months back. And they were saying, you know, their sales teams often misunderstand where the profitability is. There's the sales often is looking at the highest premium, but not understanding where the highest margin is. And so this individual from the actuarial side of the insurance company would say, we wish there was a solution that could balance those two factors. We know sales wants to close high premium deals, but for the overall health of the insurance company, we wish that they wouldn't just chase the highest premium. Sometimes mm -hmm. those highest premium deals are, are the sexy ones that everyone chases, which means everyone's margin gets beat up because they yeah. go back for concession after concession after concession. Mm -hmm. And so what we're starting to do is benchmarking by industry and by rate and by benefit plan design, all of these factors so that carriers will be able to make informed decisions, both on a sales side and from an actuarial side as to what business they truly want to go after. Mm -hmm. And so what we're hoping is that transparency will actually make them all more profitable. It will allow them to specialize. It will allow them to not waste their time on deals that they don't have a good chance of winning. Or if they do win it, their margins are going to be so compressed, it won't be profitable business for them. So we, we, you know, generally when you fight transparency and you fight technology, 
normally people lose. <laughs> so um, yes, we have re uh, met some resistance where uh, some companies are saying, no, we don't necessarily want to be benchmarked against everybody else. You know, for the most part, those have not been the bigger companies. So we've been yeah. able to kind of just be like, eh, okay, fine. We'll, we'll just put you to the side for right now. And we'll come back to this situation when you realize you're going to miss out if you're not part of this, uh, you know, Monarch platform. Mm. But, um, but for the most part, the, the companies have been, if you get up high enough level conversations with them, they understand what we're working on and they understand that transparency will help them do better in their business. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, there, there have been a handful of smaller carriers that have said, absolutely not. We would never put our rates publicly up against other carriers rates. And, you know, that's private proprietary information. I'm like, well, you know, one of the things that I have done in, you know, previously, I don't do this now. So if any insurance carrier is listening, don't worry, I'm, I'm not doing this to you today. Um, but, um, but in the past, we had a carrier that absolutely would not release their rates to us. And so what I did was I submitted uh, 10 different groups with 10 different census files. And I was able to recreate their shelf rate products off of the quotes they gave me. And I just asked for quotes across a variety of their products. And then I just held onto those rates and I reran those same census files every quarter so I could get their updated rate tables. So that saved me you know, a week of time going back and forth getting quotes. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, you guys could save me a lot of hassle if you just give me the files you use to generate that quote. So I, we don't have to do this back and forth, you know, dog and pony show here. Mm -hmm. um, so th there's always a way to do it. But yeah, some carriers have been resistant. They view it as proprietary information. You know, they're, they're, I, I might be speaking out of turn and there might be a logistical or legal reason for that. But generally speaking, I, I think when we have really good high level conversations with the carriers, both on an actuarial side, on a, a high level sales side, they want their agents targeting profitable, effective business, not chasing every single thing with a pulse. Um, and mm. uh, you know, I, I think ultimately that's what we're trying to build in the platform is a way for them to make smarter decisions as to what business they should be pursuing. Mm. It's 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 so interesting that sort of lack of transparency. Um, there was the article this week uh, that came through Sifted. I'm not sure. I can't remember who wrote it, and I apologise. I've referenced it twice now, and I, st I still haven't said it was about. As about, um, it was a call out to uh, startups trying to raise money and, and insisting on everyone signs an NDA. And essentially, they were like, "Stop getting us to sign NDAs. We, we're not going to steal your idea." And, they, and they essentially, sort of the sent, sort of overriding sentiment was that the more people were like, insistent on the NDA, the less of an actual USP was in this idea. Like it wasn't, it wasn't unique. And 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 in my world, in 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 the recruitment world, it's like you know we do get this. It's, it's an awkward scenario. And I know in certain states in the US, it's um, in 17 states in the US, it's illegal to ask someone what they earn. We still have clients that insist on knowing. In the UK, we don't have that restriction. We have loads of clients that insist on knowing. Um, and to be honest, most people don't resist that. And the people that do, anyone that resists it really hard, everyone in recruitment knows this if they're listening, that that, that means that person considers themselves underpaid. It's always the same way. It's like it's it's just it's just a rule of thumb, right? It's just it's just yeah. it's just what it means. So um, essentially what I'm saying is that resistance to transparency only ever means one thing that like you're not you're, you're not competitive and you're you don't not want competitive know it. Yeah. yeah 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 and 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 actually the irony is you're telling us you're not competitive because you you won't share that information yep. yeah yep. so th 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 that's yeah. pretty much exactly what we've seen you know i i compare it to like someone who posts a, a tv for a thousand dollars on uh, facebook marketplace for sale used and someone immediately goes and googles it and says that tv is 5.99 brand new at best buy and i can get it with a two-year warranty 
right? Yeah. It, it, it's it's yeah. like when you have that transparency, you're like, oh shoot, I guess the market is this, right? Yeah. You're not gonna, yeah. you're not going to get away with price gouging and overpricing product that's inferior, right? So, mm. um, yeah. So, so we we just think that this is long overdue to come to the benefits world, and those benchmarking reports that you see from MetLife and a lot of the other carriers, those are great. Those have been like the bible for years because we haven't had a lot of this other information. But how great would it be as a broker at the moment you go to run a quote, you can benchmark that industry code, right? You're running a quote for a law firm. You can immediately see what other, you know, 20 other quotes run that week for law firms in Southern California of similar group sizes have been selecting as their benefits pools, right? So now when you, you know, you're on the uh, talent acquisition side of things, you can talk about like trying to pull someone across. You can say, hey, this company's benefits actually benchmark 8% above the industry norm or whatever the case is, right? Now, now you can actually start leveraging that into very intelligent business decisions from the mm. employer's perspective. The broker can come in and be more effective on winning the business, um, you know, to bring that client over to their firm and making sure that they're com- um, presenting a compelling benefits package compared to what's out there in the industry or based on what the business needs are. And the, and the carriers being selected are the right ones for the job. They're, they're the ones that are naturally going to be winning in those, in, uh, those industries and those group sizes and those product lines. So mm. yeah, overall, we, we just view it as it's happened in almost every other industry. We view it as long overdue for uh, insurance and specifically employee benefits to create that additional layer of transparency. Yeah, I completely agree. What else do you think, uh, you know, how else do you need to how else have you chosen to set this up to kind of run an effective marketplace solution? What what goes into running an effective marketplace? Yeah, so, so it's kind of a, a borderline cringy buzzword, but but the flywheel effect, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably the number one thing that I obsess over and constantly thinking of is what's in it for each party involved, right? And, and so it's very difficult to create a two-sided marketplace. It's even more difficult to create a three-sided marketplace because of mm-hmm. the natural supply and demand pieces there. So what we've chosen to really focus on is to say, you know, what, who has the biggest problem we can immediately solve for in the easiest, um, you know, in shortest amount of time, right? Um, and we really fo- honed in on the broker experience. And we said, look, insurance carriers have all this money and all these resources. Employers don't really know what's going on behind the scenes to run all these quotes, you know, mm-hmm. um, but brokers, like also from firsthand experience, I know how many hours it takes of back and forth and how many weeks before we even present a quote to an employer it took us to generate and follow up with all these carriers and get all this information. I said, if we can you know, even take eight hours per quote off of someone's plate to get it ready to present to their client and we can present it in a fashion that makes them look better and more professional and that they really have their stuff together, that's solving a need for the broker, right? So st- that's one of the mm. reasons we, we said, step one, let's just create a better quoting engine experience that saves time for brokers. Let's get brokers onto our system, help them solve an immediate problem. Mm-hmm. Then they're sharing that information with their client. As the client is choosing those plans, we're now able to collect that analytics back as to what's actually being moved forward in the selection process. Mm. That then gives us the data we needed to go and create a compelling story over to carriers to say, hey, now we've got all this employer information in our system this is going to help your sales teams really target the correct uh, groups of people and the correct brokerages that have uh, access to the books of business that you're looking for. So we, we knew the three parties involved that we wanted to solve for, but we had to kind of map out how do we get to each stage of that. And sometimes it means that your the first phase, phase of the product is free, and then you do a, a, pre, a, a freemium model with a buy-up. And you know, mm-hmm. so we've, we've had to think uh, a lot about pricing strategy and where the price sensitivities are. 
and trying to get an employer to pay to receive a quote from their broker is probably non-existent, right? So we, we have to say, okay, the employer experience is probably going to be free, but we could also see it down the road where potentially the employer could host their own auction to have brokers bid on the product, right? And then brokers could use the same kinds of analytic tools that we're providing for insurance carriers to figure out which clients they're going to be best suited for, and then they can actively bid on those projects. So we could see it eventually opening up, but uh, on the employer piece as well, but we're really focused on the broker experience and then how that broker is interacting with the carrier because we saw that as the largest amount of time delay and that was the, the biggest part of the marketplace problem that we saw to solve for so um yeah mm -hmm. so, so it really just comes down to how, how do you make everybody happier how do you improve their experience on their day-to-day -day workflow um, you know, I, I use Bloomberg Terminal as a great example on the finance side of things, right? There, there's a reason, I don't know what the stat is, but my guess is probably high 80s, low 90% of, you know, finance pros are working off that system and it costs $24,000 a year for a license to it. But that's where all the communication, that's where all the interaction, the negotiation is happening, right? And it's happening yeah. fast because everyone's there. And so that's kind of what we're trying to create here with Monarch is to say, why doesn't something like that exist on the insurance side where mm. we've got transparency, we've got everybody inside the same system and they can all interact with each other and it drives value. You know, if, if you ask, you know, an insurance broker to pay $24,000 a year for a quoting system right now, they would laugh you out of the room, right? Yep. Yep. But if you could say, look, this $24,000 a year is going to save you you know, 40% of your workload, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden you talk to a broker that's kind of up and coming and they've onboarded a lot of clients and now they're really struggling to kind of keep up and they've got to hire more people. And you can say, Hey, look, we're going to shave off this much of your day to day workload. All of a sudden that number starts sounding actually pretty affordable and pretty yeah. cheap. And you can yeah. make a business around that. I'm not saying we're trying to price Monarch at $24,000 a year. We're trying to come in very aggressive. It'll take us years to kind of build up the kind of functionality that Bloomberg has, but, but that, that's kind of the, the higher level idea of what we're trying to create with this flywheel effect of like, how do you add value to each side of that marketplace? So, yeah, yeah, no, totally understand that. Um, it's, yeah, you, you've got to prove the use case to the point where it saves enough time and enough money that it's, it's worth the investment. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just about efficiencies most of the time with these things. And, um, yeah, no, I, I won't. I was going to jump into my own uh, SaaS woes, but I, I, I'll, I'll talk to you about that another time. Um, I, I, one of the things we bonded over and I was really um, interested about is that, you, you know, you've self-funded off the back of the profits of your brokerage businesses. Um, and I love talking about bootstrapping versus raising seed, pre-seed money. Um, why did you choose that route? Did you did you consider going out and raising money ahead of time, or you know, what, what was your thinking there? Yeah, so, so we've actually got a list of about fifty friends and family, about twenty angel uh, funds that have you know expressed interest in wanting to give us money. Um, we've had a lot of early conversations with VCs, and we've taken those conversations uh, and taken them seriously, but also. With with we've taken them seriously, but without a sense of urgency, because we mm. knew we could afford to fund ourselves to get us to where we wanted. Yeah. Um, so I, I've I've been in a VC back, uh, two different prior VC backed companies, both of which have gone public. So I've seen what that kind of explosive growth can look like. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a three time bootstrapped founder as well. So I've seen what the control of being bootstrapped looks like. Yeah. And I think with with Monarch, we we I I didn't. Uh, we do want that lightning fast acceleration in the growth of the company. And so I do think bringing on institutional investment does make a lot of sense to us, but I'm also, because I've bootstrapped, I, I understand innately how valuable a single dollar is. And so mm. part of this was, I didn't, you know, even though I firmly believe in the product to the point of putting my own money into it, 
going out and getting my family to put money into it. Um, I've actually had a couple of them actually get annoyed with me. And as I said, look, we feel like you're holding out and you're not letting us invest. And I said, that, okay, that, that, that's a good sign. Like they actually want in. I'm not asking. Yeah. They're, they're like, hey, take my money. I'm like, no, we, I don't want to, you know, yeah. we're, we're yeah. still working out the kinks on, the, on uh, the, the product market fit here. And once we get traction and they're like, yeah, we know, but once we know you'll get traction and once you get it, you're going to be worth more and we want in earlier. I said, great, G- good to have these conversations. But, mm. um, but as soon as you take a dollar of someone else's money you you now have a boss you are responsible for reporting to and that in and of itself doesn't scare me at all what um, scares me is the uh, pulling the attention away from the day-to-day operations and moving the business forward and suddenly mm-hmm. now having that one extra responsibility at this size of a business and at this early stage suddenly now being responsible for you know creating, you know, again, all in the interest of transparency, creating that financial transparency with where our investor dollars are going mm-hmm. and focusing more and more of my time on raising that next fund on making sure that we are, you know, communicating with all of our investors and everything else. I saw that as a detraction from early on getting as much traction as we could on the actual product development. And so, you know, for the, the typical friends and family angel rounds, I said, I can put my own cash in. I believe in the product. I believe in where we're going. Let's not deal with the outside distraction. Let's just get going on this. Um, so that was really kind of the major driver on that. It, it wasn't necessarily to be, uh, to be risk adverse. In fact, if anything, my wife will tell you, I definitely am not risk adverse. Um, so, um, but, um, yeah, th- th- that was kind of the thought process there on bootstrapping was that it allowed us to really focus on where we believe the product should go, iron out the product uh, market fit, avoid taking too early dilution on the product to get it to a healthier, stronger, defensible business position, and then go out when we're ready to truly pour gasoline on the business. And we're mm-hmm. getting pretty close to that point here in the next like two or three months. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're, we're at that stage now where we're like, okay, now it's time to go. Now let's go get the money. Now we need the additional, you know, muscle power. Um, let, let's really turn this thing into a rocket ship, but we wanted to make sure we had a nice solid foundation before we went and risked other people's capital. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, it sings to my own tune. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm saying this in a position of, um, you know, I've been able to do it because I've, I've started businesses that haven't gone need a lot of money um and i appreciate that some people when they've got an insure tech inherently probably needs quite a lot of capital because you know you have to get engineers or engineering talent in to sort of build things so that's that's challenging but you know i think in an ideal world everyone would bootstrap to a certain point and if i was an investor i'd probably want someone to bootstrap for as long as possible because i was like they put their own money in they believe in their own business like they've they've they're really committed because you can see they're financially committed. Um, and then from the from your perspective, from from the entrepreneur's perspective, you're going to get a better, you know, you're going to get a better deal. Like you, you're going to have to get a better deal. So um, no, I absolutely believe in it. Um, but we, 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 we yeah. also really wanted to sh- kind of show off how capital efficient we could be. Our, our entire mm-hmm. first year in business, our entire burn was seven hundred dollars. And that included all of our incorporation, <laughs> all of our legal, all of our accounting. And, you know, and I've had people say like, how on earth did you put that together for 700 bucks? And it's like, well, okay, you've got a technical founder who can bang out a lot of the code pretty yeah. efficiently to get that MVP product up and running. Yeah. Um, but we reached out to, you know, one of the big uh, local law schools uh, that had an entrepreneurship law program and basically just asked them point blank. Um, you know, we looked up who the professor was. They were a managing partner at a big firm that specialized in, um, tech law and tech startups. And we said, you know, you've got this entrepreneur law program. Your students are probably looking for ways to um, get 
real world experience before they graduate and get out in the world and help other entrepreneurs or be part of startups and things like that. Would you be interested in helping us, you know, draft all of our articles of incorporation in Delaware and file our California paperwork and everything else? And they said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we had the professor who's a named managing partner of this other big firm sign off on everything. We know it's all legit, but he basically used it as a class exercise to give a real world example of here's how you create the formations of a you know, technology startup and how you do their stock options agreements and everything else. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were able to save ourselves thousands of dollars by those kinds of, you know, uh, relationships being created. Um, there's a lot of, you know, software that we knew we needed access to, to manage our client relations and sales and things like that. A lot of them, if you can show, Hey, this is what we're on track to do. And we've got a background in this, or we, you know, here's the, uh, the business model around it. You know, we, we had a lot of software companies give us six months free access to their fully loaded enterprise systems because they know there's a big cost of switching down the road. And so they figured if they could get us hooked on the platform for the first six months, six months later, we, we wouldn't move and go anywhere else. So they viewed mm. it as just a, you know, an early stage marketing piece. So yeah, our entire first year in business, we, we weren't cutting corners. We were just, you know, dramatically cutting expenses by leveraging a lot of this uh, kind of goodwill out there. And, and we're very proud of that. We wanted to show that off and say, look, you give us money. We're not going to go out and just rent a you know beautiful office and give everyone, you know, um, yeah. you know, the best, the best snacks possible. We're, we're going yeah, yeah, yeah. to be very capital efficient to hit the business objectives with every dollar that we do bring on. But we wanted to, we wanted to prove that out and say, look, here's what we've done so far being very capital efficient you know, give us your capital and imagine what we can do to 10 X or hundred X this thing. So, yeah, that's really interesting. I, it's, it's, it's so my journey as well. Cause the first, first, first business I ran in the recruitment space, I got really like over the top. We had amazing offices and football table and we had dartboard and we had a breakout area and we had like an Xbox. And uh, this time it's like, I'm not saying we're, we're not running Spartan, but I've invested in so much kind of tech that's that, that leads towards the business use case. So like, there isn't a piece of recruitment technology I don't think that my team don't own if it makes their job better. And it's like, I'll invest in that and not in that. And it's just it's just a learned experience. So I think that's the great when people have run businesses. One last thing that I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I, there's, you know, you know, the benefit space inside out, um, outside of your own business. Is there any sort of specific innovations that have really caught your eye? Um, I, I, I'd say the, the single biggest thing in the last few years has really been a, a willingness with carriers to move EDI connectivity down market. Mm -hmm. um, so typically that was only something for large employers where you're on you know, the big ADP platforms or things like that. And, and you're moving you know, uh, employees through their payroll onboarding through benefits and then their benefits just magically turn on with the insurance carrier 48 hours later. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing more and more platforms coming out with those uh, uh, EDI connectivity options, even for smaller carriers, we're seeing more carriers pushing out that they can create that connectivity. So uh, from, from the benefits perspective, I'd say that's probably the single greatest innovation that, that we've seen on, uh, on a brokerage side of things, because prior to that, you're collecting an application and there, there were um, pieces of software out there that could map someone's information into an application and collect an e-signature. You would still have to download that PDF securely send it to the insurance carrier, check back in with the insurance carrier 48 hours later, make sure they actually did in fact receive it, 
they say, yes, we received it. You follow back up a week later to make sure they actually did something with it now that they've acknowledged they received it. And then you communicate that information back to the employee. So we, we had a full-time person literally just processing those things, you know, an entire eight hours a day, just sending them off, following back up, you know, mm -hmm. and just running those reports. And we've been able to, you know, 5X the size of our business without hiring another one of those people. And yeah. the reason we've been able to do that is because as we keep growing the business, we keep finding more and more carriers willing to accept those automatic connections, which means we don't have to keep hiring more human beings to process all those manual transactions. And, and so that's probably been the single largest improvement in efficiency that I've seen on a brokerage side of things. It's really been the, on the benefits administration, benefits uh, implementation. Um, and then so that was kind of, you know, given how much of an impact that had on our brokerage, that was also, again, going back to why did we want to create Monarch? Because we, we felt that same kind of uh, pleasure that could be acquired by streamlining the backside could be also achieved on the front side and mm. the implementation, the underwriting, the quoting process, all of that mm -hmm. could move faster as well. So, um, you know, besides that, I think there's been a lot of product innovation, you know, as, you know, especially with the pandemic, there's been a lot of, um, there, there were a lot of products out there that were kind of fringe benefits and, you know, you, you, you've got some companies with some extremely rich programs where they just try to check every single possible box and you've got like parental leave programs and things like that. We've seen a huge rise in um, ensuring parental leave for, you know, um, fathers, mothers going out on that. Um, we've seen a lot of like uh, evolution in the perks programs and reimbursement for things before you used to like provide gym memberships or, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, very early on, we reached out for um, discounts for clients on everything from like dog walking to laundry service to meal delivery and things mm. like that. Mm. And um, pre-pandemic, that was very much like, oh, that, that, those guys are crazy. They're just trying to recreate the Google cafeteria. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. But we're trying to bring that to smaller companies. Since the pandemic, companies are like, yeah, no, we, we need to do that because we recognize that people's home lives are being now impacted because they're never leaving their home office and so mm. what can we do to make their home life a little easier whether it's childcare, or dog walking services or you know meal delivery and things like that so we've seen a lot of evolution on the benefit side as to what used to be really nice like you know at the very very top level of the spectrum of benefits being offered now kind of coming down market to being much more commonplace benefits for uh, for employers to look at improving their employee experience so yeah, it's interesting on the benefit side. Like, I don't think uh, I think even a business as small as mine, you know, like four people, is just you have to start thinking about it. I was thinking about it today, and 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 that can only be a good thing. But um, look, David, I'm, I'm really conscious of our time. We don't want to overstay our welcome with our with our with our podcast listeners. So um, you know, I I think it's a really good place to end there. I'm super excited we got to do this one um because you know I I, I really believe in marketplace solutions. I think transparency is like massively important to everything we do in insurance, and I think you, you guys are sort of providing a really good platform for that to kind of yeah percolate throughout the benefits industry which is which has not been not been jumping to the fore to be transparent so um thank you very much for your time really appreciate being a guest um, um but always want to give this sort of opportunity to you know uh you you're going through that kind of raising process if people wanted to reach out to you where's the best place to sort of get hold of you linkedin yeah email whatever yeah I, i'm an avid user on linkedin uh, definitely find me there uh, david bryant and uh, look up monarch hq and that's m-o-n-a-r-k uh, hq 
um, or uh, just uh, david.bryant at monarchhq uh, will do the job as well and uh, and get in touch with me. And yeah, happy to communicate. And um, yeah, Monarch HQ should be launching in all 50 states uh, by the end of Q3 for our, uh, for our bidding platform. So really excited for that coming up. Amazing stuff. Brilliant. David, thank you once again. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, pal. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.